Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Today I tackle dividing contents. But first, a few questions to set up the scene. How are memories formed and what do they mean to us? What about objects? What is their significance in our lives and why for so many people do certain possessions literally form a part of their identity? Dividing contents is often a thorny issue in family law. Judges don't like dealing with it. Why? First and foremost, because using the court's time at great expense to everyone involved to decide who gets the couch and who gets the dining room table is economic suicide. The items at issue are likely not worth the hourly rates of the lawyers involved in having to argue the point, not to mention the cost to the taxpayer to have a judge use his or her time for this purpose. So judges always encourage parties before the court and their lawyers, if they have them, to sort out contents if at all possible, or at least to narrow the area of disagreement. So for example, what a judge will be tackling at a conference are six pieces of furniture and two paintings, not a list of 200 items on it. And yes, I have seen those. Yes, you should do all you can to sort out the issue of contents through negotiation. It's cheaper to do so. You also have more room for negotiation that way. If the issue ends up before the court, there will be little time to bargain, if at all. If the contents issue is being dealt with at a motion, which is the type of hearing where the presiding judge hears from both sides and makes a decision, you will be rolling the dice and may not end up with what you wanted. But even if you are at a conference which has built into it more of a discussion with both lawyers and parties. There is only so much time a judge can devote to your case on a particular day, 
And if most of that time is taken up with couches and chairs, there may not be enough time to deal with truly impactful issues like support and importantly, children. At the beginning of today's talk, I posed some questions and left them without answers. Contents are important to people, and someday I would love to have a guest, a psychologist perhaps, to explain why. I think it has to do with memories, perhaps with a sense of identity. In thinking about this issue over the years, I have used myself as an example. What have my possessions meant to me? Not many have, but those that do mean a lot. They have moved with me from city to city and even between continents. Again, they are not many, but they matter to me, and I would be sad to be without them. Sad, yes, an important word in our context. After all, the division of contents is taking place because a relationship has come to an end. It's a time of change. For many people, a very sad and disappointing time. And so they yearn for a sense of normalcy, of continuity. In their new nest, perhaps they want to create what they feel they are losing. Sometimes contents can become a control issue, as in you're not going to have that simply because you want it. It's not really about that kitchen table, that wooden rectangle on legs, which has been in your home since the kids were little and at a garage sale, you would have trouble getting $1 for it. It's about making sure he or she does not get it simply because they want it. I once heard someone say, I would rather rent a trailer to drive that kitchen table to the garbage transfer station than let him have it. And there it is. Let's try and define contents. The law does not offer us any definition of the word in the context of family law, but experience and the way judges have handled the issues do. When we talk about contents of a home or an apartment, we're not talking about personal items belonging to either party. So, for example, it's not clothing or shoes or toiletries and personal paperwork and grandma's photo album. It's what is left in the dwelling when all those personal possessions are taken out. That is one way of looking at contents and I think it makes sense. What are some examples of what is left, just to make sure we understand each other for the purposes of my description. Furniture, for sure. Artwork. Lighting, if it's not going to remain attached to the property or apartment. Area rugs. Kitchen contents, and I will talk more about that. Bedroom contents, other than personal possessions. Yes, the contents of the kids' bedrooms and this often becomes a contentious issue, and I will touch on it again a little later. The contents of the garage or shed, lawnmowers, the trampoline, and so on. Let's talk about value. At first try, when they are 
initially asked to provide a general indication of what the family's contents are worth, most people overvalue. There is at least one reason for this, but there are others. Many people think it's what they paid for the items. Here is a reality check, and I certainly do not wish to be unkind about this, folks, but it's important to hear. Unless you have antiques, Chippendale chairs, group of seven artwork, Persian rugs, or Tiffany lamps, your contents are not worth remotely as much as you think. They have intrinsic value, perhaps what is sometimes called in the business valuation world, value to owner. They are important for the reasons I raised earlier, memories, identity. But that is not the question when a value needs to be assigned to them. The question is what would someone pay for them now? Your couch, your chairs, that bookshelf, the tchotchkes in the glass cabinet. If you let people into the house and they could name a price of the various contents, what would that price be? And I don't mean low-balling for the purposes of negotiation. I mean that as the price each item would reasonably fetch if available for sale in the open market. Sometimes I get a financial statement from the other side which suggests the jointly owned contents are worth $100,000. My client says, great, I will sell my share to him or her for 50000 Give me the money tomorrow. Because that would be a great bargain for my client. When we make the offer, the other side is usually not prepared to buy at that price. Why? Because that $100,000 valuation was unrealistic to begin with. So sometimes when my client struggles with figuring out what various items are worth, I ask them to ask themselves, what would I pay for this or that? If you have antiques, any special items with real market value, they may have to be valued by an expert. But even if you don't, and you can't agree on the division of the contents, that value may have to be appraised. Someone walking through your home and making a list with values attached to specific pieces. And then, if you still can't agree, the entire lot will have to be sold. I have never had a case in which that exercise brought anyone a sense of satisfaction. It's costly, and the returns are not what was expected in the first place. Let's talk about kids' bedrooms. Sometimes parents get into a competition here because, again, memories, a sense of continuity. Each parent may want the kids to have their original furniture at their new place, so they think of that place as their home. Such competition is really, really not helpful for the kids. The way I look at it, and many judges do as well, the content of the bedrooms belongs to the kids. It should be viewed from that perspective. 
surely from that point of view, parents should be able to sort this out, perhaps have some of the items in one new home and some in the other. Depending on the case, it may also make sense to build some excitement around getting all new furniture for their new bedroom in their second home, as in, let's go shopping so we can pick out together your new bed and your new desk. You will now have two bedrooms. Isn't that great? Don't fight about kids' stuff. Not their furniture, not their toys or clothing. It's so harmful to kids, your kids. Kitchen. Let's tackle the kitchen. Because sometimes I get lists which say seven forks, seven knives, three coffee mugs, because there were six, salad spinner. I even had a case years ago where the parties were fighting about a magic bullet, yes, before the court. With two fairly senior lawyers at the time, both parties were very entrenched and we could not get them off their positions. A judge had to decide about a magic bullet. I also had a case involving a punch bowl. Yes, one of those with the little hooks around it to hang the little cups. Again, truly consider what all this stuff is worth. Do you really want this old stuff? I want to cover a point which is built into what I have said, but which is best identified point blank. You do not have to actually divide the stuff. If one side wants to keep all the contents of the matrimonial home, uh, for example, that is fine if the other side agrees, but some value will have to be assigned to the contents so that the person who is essentially selling their one half share to the other gets credit for doing so in the appropriate financial calculations. There is another important point when it comes to contents. Remember I said contents are what is left when personal possessions are taken out and I stand by this definition of mine but there is another step when it comes to figuring out what is actually subject to division. And here, where the item came from may matter. Let me give you an illustration. At separation, in the home of Lynn and Mike, there are numerous pieces of furniture and artwork. These include a dining room set, which belonged to Lynn's grandmother, and a charcoal drawing by Rembrandt. Lynn got the dining room set before she married Mike. The Rembrandt was part of an inheritance Mike received from his uncle after the marriage. Mike and not Mike and Lynn were named in the uncle's will. These items belong to each of the parties. The dining room set is Lynn's and the Rembrandt is Mike's. This would be true whether they are married or not. Since they are married, these items are in special categories for the purposes of equalization, which again 
is Ontario's formula for dividing the value of debts and assets on separation. We have coming into play here an item, the dining room set, which Lynn owned before the marriage, and an item, the Rembrandt, which Mike inherited. Mike's and Lynn's lawyers will have to deal with how to express these items on their financial statements, including their value. I used these items in my example because I want to illustrate that there are items among the contents which are not actually up for division. They are physical contents of the home, but from a legal perspective, they belong to each of the parties and they're entitled to their possession going forward. This may become a little clearer in case it's not when I get into some suggestions about how to actually go about dividing the contents. Here we go. And by the way, my list is not exhaustive. In other words, there are many other examples, but here are the most common. Number one, the parties exchange lists of all the contents and mark on each individual list what that party wants. This list exchange will likely narrow things down to only those items both parties want. Here, some people include what they consider to be the value of each item, but some don't. And if that's the case, it's a signal that it's a bargain about the actual stuff, not about leaving each side with contents with the same value as the other. Let's go back for a moment to Lynn and Mike. On their lists, they would be marking off the dining room set for Lynn and the Rembrandt in Mike's case. So all the contents of the house are listed, but it is made clear that these specific items belong to each party and are not part of the division discussion. Number two, sometimes there is general agreement that one side will keep most of the contents, for example, because they're buying out the house, but the other side wants some specific items. And in that case, they would be providing a list of those. If there is no agreement right away, there is more negotiation. Number three, I have been involved in cases where parties walk through the matrimony home with different colored stickies. Using Mike and Lynn from our example, each would put their sticky on an item they want. At the end of that exercise, only those items which have two stickies on them are the items for further negotiation because both parties want them. In two cases I remember very well involving large homes with a lot of contents, this worked very effectively. But curves in the road are a part of life, right? And this is also the case in family law. For example, the division of contents may become more complicated if it's taking place sometime after the separation, sometimes months or even years later. 
here are some possible curves. Number one, the person who is not living in the house, who moved out, no longer remembers all the contents, so they have trouble preparing a reliable list. Or number two, an angry ex loaded up a truck and took many of the contents to the dump before the discussion of the division started or sold them and kept the money. These problems are not uncommon and they will need to be handled by your lawyer. No question about it. Memories can make our faces and our hearts brighten, but they can also evoke emotions on the other end of the spectrum sadness, feelings of loss. Depending on whether you ended the relationship or whether the decision was made for you, you might consider approaching the contents division from your own unique perspective. If you ended the relationship and the contents are important to the other side, are they truly that important to you? You triggered change Perhaps new contents are part of that change. Food for thought. If you had the separation decision made for you and are sad about it, grieving, perhaps continuing to surround yourself with all those memories, that furniture and artwork may not be the best. This is an opportunity to create new memories, a fresh start, again, food for thought. Here is my last point for today. If you cannot agree on the division of contents, you keep fighting about the issue, the court will order them sold and the proceeds divided. I hope today's talk will be like a road sign pointing you in the direction of a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.